Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This week's episode is proudly sponsored by XL Moto. That's the one-stop shop for everything motorcycling related, whether it is parts for your bike, new biking gear, and any servicing equipment, and anything in between. So thank you so much to them for sponsoring this episode. Right, I want to start off with, let me just get comfortable. I want to, uh, actually I was going to start off with two emails. Yeah, I'll start here and then I'll, I'll give you an update about what's been going on because it's been, it's been a long, fun, non-stop week where I've been away for five days and I only got back yesterday at about 8 p.m. But I'll get to that in a second. First off, two emails. First one, have a listen to this because this is... This is in relation to my podcast episode last week where I discussed not having to save money to buy a bike, just getting on finance. Don't worry about saving. Don't worry about thinking, oh, you know, it's going to take me two years to save £3,000. Forget about all that. Bypass that and just go for your dream bike. Well, I had a very interesting response to this. And in the interest of fairness and impartiality, have a listen to this. This is from an American listener. Freddie, I've enjoyed your podcast, uh, Looking for Great Used Bikes. I was disappointed to hear you encouraging riders to purchase new $20,000 plus motorcycles with financing. I've never heard any financial expert recommending to go further into debt for a new car, plane, ATV, boat or motorcycle. If you can't afford to buy it used, uh, sorry, if you cannot afford it, then buy it used. You would make a great American with your buy now, pay later philosophy. I hope no one took this misguided advice. Well, thank you for sending over your opinion. It's always good to hear a good rounded argument. Uh, I don't know if it's the times we live in. I don't know. Or I don't know if I'm a a bit of a product of my environment. I think I'm fairly good not getting into debt. However, I do see the appeal of of getting a bike or a car on finance because sometimes it's the only way that you can get to your dream vehicle. I guess the other argument is, well, look, if you can't afford your dream vehicle, then you shouldn't be buying your dream vehicle. It should be just that, a dream. I'm a little bit torn. I am a little bit torn because sometimes it is the only way we can buy things and it means that we don't have that outlay so we're not clearing out our bank balance in order to buy something but it's it's a fair point well made whenever I talk to my parents you know the older generation about this they can never believe what we the younger generation are, are like with spending and financing and also even small things you know my parents can't believe that I go to the coffee shop with Monica probably five or six times a week. We eat out a huge amount of the time. For my parents, going to the coffee shop, that's a genuine treat. You know, buying two coffees in Starbucks or something, their attitude is more, well, why would we go to Starbucks when we can just have our coffees at home and then go for a lovely walk? Whereas Monica and I, well, we're going for a walk to the coffee shop we'll have coffee and cake. We, we do spend more than the older generation. And financing, of course, 
it's commonplace now. I think 85%, and I think it's going up, 85% or so of all new cars purchased in the UK are now done on, done on some form of finance. What would that have been 20 years ago or so? Is finance a brilliant way to, to get a perfectly reliable, good, sensible vehicle that won't break down and will stand you in good stead for years to come and there's no big initial outlay. Yes, you have the monthly repayments, but you don't have the initial outlay. Or should we all be saving for a, a, a more modest vehicle and not going into any debt at all, but we're clearing out our bank accounts when we actually buy that vehicle? What's, what is the best answer? You know, the first vehicle I've ever bought, the first motorbike, sorry, I've ever bought on finance was my Triumph Bonneville for £3,650. £650. And I took a loan out of £4,000 to buy it. And that loan cost me £80 a month. I didn't have the money to buy the Bonneville at the time, but it was my dream bike. So I did go into debt for that bike and I could never have dreamt of being able to afford it with savings. And in reality, I didn't miss that 80 pounds a month too much. So is that a good option to buy something or did I get a happy medium, a middle ground in buying that because I still bought a used Bonneville at 3,650 pounds. So I didn't crazily stretch myself with £400 a month. Now, £400 a month would have put me in a very serious position because I ended up losing my job halfway through. Now, that would have been very, very different. I would have struggled then. It's an interesting argument. So thank you all the way from the US for that because it's a fair point. You know, debt can ruin lives. I say it to Monica a lot. You, you know, if we were in more debt, it would seriously restrict the things that we can do. If our overheads were higher, it would restrict the things we can do. If I had a motorbike with £400 monthly repayments every month, what would that do to my life? How would it restrict it? Would it stop me doing things? Would it stop me having experiences? And if I think about it carefully, and all the things I can do now, the freedom I have now because I don't have much debt at all, it is a lovely feeling of freedom, knowing that I don't at the end of the, every month have a massive amount to pay to the bank or whoever it may be, the mortgage company. That's an incredible feeling of freedom. But how would it be if I did go out and buy a brand new Harley Davidson and I had 400 pounds a month? How would I, 400 pounds a month repayments. How would I feel at the end of every month knowing I've got to pay that 400 pounds a month? Well, if I'm on 15K a month, it's fine. It means nothing. But if I'm on a, a more average salary every month, that is something that you would start dreading. And I know that there are opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to do in the past couple of years if I would have had that monthly repayment. There were holidays I wouldn't have been able to go on. There were things I wouldn't have been able to do and experiences I wouldn't have been able to have. So how important are those experiences that we can have versus the dream bike and the satisfaction that dream bike can give us? And how, how much more joy 
can our dream 20,000 pound motorbike actually give us when compared to a more simple 3,000 pound motorbike? Does it give any more joy? Or is the feeling of freedom and the joy of being out on a bike on two wheels all that really matters? And if you can't afford to buy your dream motorbike, then the feeling of freedom, not just financial freedom, but the feeling of freedom of having a 2,000 pound bike is really just as good as having a 20,000 pound or dollar bike. It's a really interesting argument. If you have any feelings on that, let me know because this is something that I've toyed with and played around in my mind a lot. For me, that feeling of financial freedom every month is very important. So would I actually, would I actually bite the bullet? and buy a really expensive bike if I wasn't in a significantly comfortable enough position to do it. Great argument there, brilliant. Thank you for sending over that email. Right, point two, and this leads on very nicely. Have a listen to this. I'll read out the whole email because I think it, it leads into a nice story. This is from Zane. Thanks, Zane, in England. Hi, Freddie. Uh, love the podcast and YouTube channel. I've recently had an experience similar to your own regarding issues following a touring trip that you may find interesting for the podcast. I recently took my Sportster Iron on my first multi-day tour from the Lake District down to Devon and across Pool. During this time, I had some excessive vibration issues. I had this assessed at a dealer and it turned out that the rubber mounts require replacing both front and back with supporting brackets at a cost of, get ready, £1,100 and around one month or around a one month wait for parts and workshop. I'm a complete novice when it comes to motorcycle maintenance, but I decided to see if I could do this myself with just the purchase of parts, new tools, and a climber manual. I managed to, uh, uh, with, sorry, with the purchase of parts, new tools, and a climber manual, I managed to carry out the work myself successfully resulting in only a week of the bike being off the road as opposed to the projected one month and at a fraction of the cost. Who knows, it could have been a much longer wait with the current dealer situation. The fact that this can be done is confidence-inspiring. It's rewarding to fix things yourself and understand your motorcycle. I imagine there's other new riders like myself that would believe that they can't do this work themselves or would find it daunting, but it can be done. All the best, Freddie. Zane. I, I love stuff like this, Zane. Thank you so much for sending this in because, and I've, you know, I found this out myself. Bikes are brilliant because they are, everything is much, much more easily accessible than a car. Especially if you buy a naked bike, you can see everything in front of you. There's no covering for the engine. You know, a car, a lot of the stuff's underneath. You may need to get a jack to lift up the car. It's scary, it's daunting. But a bike, everything's in front of you. It's a little bit like adult Lego. And seeing Zane with, with very little previous experience perfectly shows this. And I would class myself as a very novice uh, DIY biker as well. But I also like to try and fix things myself because the savings, especially somewhere in the UK where servicing, well, where labour costs are so hugely expensive and there is a genuine shortage of skilled staff, 
it's you can save yourself so much time and money. And look at Zane here. That is, in theory, a very daunting prospect for uh, an inexperienced bike mechanic like myself, maybe even like Zane, um, where you have to change the, the rubber mounts. Well, I'd, I'd be freaking out just at the thought of it. And it's a £1,100 job. So it's clearly a big job from the mechanic but Zane managed to do it. And the, the waiting lists, you know, I spoke to a mechanic in Ipswich. It would have taken one month to fix, uh, just to wait to have my bike looked at after I got back from Europe. One month wait, then who knows? One week to, to actually finally look at the bike, get round to fixing it. Could easily have been five weeks, could easily have been half of the biking season. But it can be done yourself if you just go onto YouTube, buy a manual, just have a look at the bike, take a little bit of it apart, take the tank off, have a look, make sure everything's in place. Bikes are, in general, much, much easier to work on than you think, and something that initially can seem daunting, once you've done it once, you realise it's extremely easy to do. Very, very easy to do a lot of the time. So, Zane, thank you for sending that in. That, I hope, will, will spread the word about, give it a go yourself. Try doing it yourself. I, I remember doing the brakes myself for the first time. God, I was so scared. So scared. I think it took me about two hours. But you're right. That feeling of accomplishment for doing it. And the cost saving. A lot of parts for bikes are dirt cheap. You know, I think an air filter is something like £20. I've just bought some brakes for the Bonneville. I think they were £12.50 off eBay. £12.50 for brakes. You know, e it's easy to do yourself. Easy. Just put on YouTube, change brake pads on the Bonneville and a step-by-step -step guide will come up. Pause it once you get to the end of the step you've done. Start the video up again just to get to the next bit and pause it as you go along. You will not go wrong and so many parts for the bikes are dirt cheap. Very inspiring. I Oh, there's one more thing I want to do before I get to an update of the week. It just shows you can use any bike for anything, and, and in comfort as well. I got this brilliant, brilliant message through the website. Let's see if I saved the name. Uh, oh, from Mike, Mike in England. Uh, hi, Freddie, couple of pics as promised um, of a Vespa, lovely Vespa actually, beautiful thing, a Vespa with the Tucan wingman of the road tent. This is the slightly larger two-person tent because I really wanted to see what does it look like? I think if I remember, apologies Mike if I'm wrong, I think Mike took his Vespa from England up to Scotland if I'm right. Uh, apologies, I've got to save the actual message. But uh, Mike sent me a picture of his Vespa uh, just in front of a beautiful, beautiful beach, all packed up with the tent on the back of it. A little screen on this, I think just off bronze Vespa. Beautiful looking thing with a little rack on the front of it. And it looks incredibly comfortable. The big tent actually fits extremely well on the front and with that little rack on it, the little screen, I would be more than happy, more than happy to use that Vespa to go around Europe on. They look beautifully comfortable. In fact, the Vespa is one of the bikes I want to test out because if I were in the right environment, it's, it's a bike I would really genuinely love to own. They're superb modes of transport. Lovely looking thing. If, if I had the money and the space, I'd have a Vespa in my garage, without question. Right, 
I have got back. Now, update on the week. I've got back from about 790, very close to 800 miles riding in the past five days. And that's because I went from Ipswich on the east coast of England and I rode down, I think it's about 200, 200 miles or so, down to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is one of the events, the automotive events on the UK calendar. It's got the latest and greatest cars, motorbikes uh, on display. It's got stunning classic vehicles on display, whether they're Ferraris, Bentleys, Rolls Royces, and they all race around a track in this beautiful, beautiful, huge manor house with land down near the south coast of England in one of the most beautiful bits of the country I've seen. It is breathtakingly stunning down there. You're just on, on empty roads. We stayed in a little village in a tiny one-bedroom cottage, my dad and I. I met him there. He came all the way from Cornwall. Uh, we stayed in a cottage and just in the morning woke up, had some breakfast and then drove off the 20 minutes to the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And you're driving around these empty country lanes with nothing around apart from every five minutes or so beautiful 300-year-old townhouse or cottage or old farmer's house, perfectly preserved and being used as a, as a genuine residence now. Lovely winding country lanes and you'll be going past uh, a classic Ferrari whizzing past or a Rolls-Royce coming the other way, a beautiful old Peugeot estate from the 1970s, just all of these cars whizzing along a Lamborghini heading off to the Festival of Speed. It's a really magical thing to be a part of. And you get there and the massive stone walls surrounding the entire development, the entire estate, and you drive in through one of the, the gates, park up in a huge field, and you can see the Festival of Speed spread out just behind the gates and behind the fields that are usually used for cows and cowland and you can hear the rumble of the engines and you can see all of the marquees and you walk inside and it's just an amazing place to spend the day. Uh, loads of amazing cars, but I want to get onto the bikes and I don't want to go into too much detail on one of them. One of them is the BSA Gold Star I, I saw in the flesh for the first time ever. This is a bike I'm extremely keen on. It's also a bike that I have put my name on the list just really the interested list. Um, I don't know how far I'll go with it, but I spoke to them at BSA. Um, I got to sit on the Gold Star, got to really have a feel for what it's like as a bike. I've done a bit of a YouTube video on it that will come out um, in a few days, uh, two or three days time after this podcast episode goes live. But uh, long story short, I was impressed with it. The dimensions feel very nice and it feels to me between the the Interceptor, Royal Enfield and the Bonneville. It's a single though. Um, I'm, I'm probably indifferent towards single cylinder engines. They can feel like a bit of hard work, they feel a bit vibey, so I'll be curious to see what that's like. They can also feel extremely characterful, so very curious about that. So that is a bike that I've been desperate to see, I was not disappointed. The other bike is very, very different. The Bruff Superior, Lawrence of Arabia's motorcycle. This is very different. This is a 60,000 pound motorcycle. And I actually saw 
the the Lawrence Special Edition. And I've gone onto the website to have a look at it because this is one of the finest looking motorcycles. It's the kind of bike that is so special. I don't know if I'd ever ride it. I would have it, if I were lucky enough, I'd have it in my, my living room below my big TV as a, a work of art. Would I actually end up riding it? Ooh, I don't know. It's, it's maybe too special to ride. I've gone onto the Bruff Superior website. Um, in fact, if you don't know, they're, they're one of the finest British motorcycle brands. Um, they're, they've been around for a long time and now that they're, they're very, very high end. Have a listen to this. I've just gone onto BruffSuperiorMotorcycles.com and I'm on the specific Lawrence model here. Um, and I've clicked on reserve my bike. So you do have to reserve them. Here we go. Listen to this. Ready to take your dream motorcycle on the open road, Bruff Superior maintains small production runs to ensure the highest level of quality and customization. Sign up below and make a deposit to skip ahead of the line and set your design process in motion. So you need to pay a 1,000 euro deposit, then enter your full name and your email address, and then you click reserve my bike. Your payment's done and secured through PayPal. If you don't have a PayPal account, please contact our team. If you are, I was about to say lucky enough, you know, that's, that's doing a disservice to people who've earned their money and deserve it. If you are successful enough or lucky enough, whatever position you may be in, to, uh, to, to possibly consider getting one of these Bruff Superiors, I, I think these would be a good investment. They're a lot of money, but... Uh, they're going to be so spe special and so rare. I, I think this would be a genuinely good investment bike. They've, they've got a few different models, the SS100 and, that's, and the Pending. They're all a thousand euro deposits. They've even got the Aston Martin on the Bruff Superior website. Oh, if I had the money, I would buy one. And I, yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to say I'd never ride it. It would just be a thing to own. Okay, I'll move on. But they are two bikes. They were parked right up next to each other at the Festival of Speed. Oh, after that, after that, I rode for a further 200 miles over to Cornwall, far, far southwest coast of the UK. Spent about four days with my parents in their new place over in Cornwall. And then I rode back 380 miles on the Triumph Bonneville, on my Bonneville, and it was faultless. You know, the only issue with it was the spark plug issue. It's back to feeling as good as ever. And I love a road trip. It just turns every journey into an adventure. When I woke up in the morning, Sunday morning, my parents, they've got this lovely double garage in their, their new house, up a tiny little country lane. So I, I rode the bike in on Friday morning when I got there, parked it up right in the middle of a garage, loads of space. Um, and in Sunday morning when I was about to leave, right in the morning, first thing, packed up the panniers, put the panniers on the bike and had it all set up. It's so nice having a garage because you can pack the bike, set everything up and then pop back inside, have some lunch and everything's packed up on the bike. And I was so excited just to do another little road trip. That's the thing about bikes. They turn every adventure or every journey into an adventure. It's a lovely way to spend a day, just going all the way from the far southwest coast of England. Eight hours it took me. Stopped off three times for fuel, uh, and one of those stops I had lunch, had a coffee, 
and I got back at about about 8.30 in the evening to the far east coast of England in Ipswich. So couldn't be further west to east. It's great, great day. Oh, I almost forgot this. Moving on, moving on. Now, everything's getting electrified. There's a big electric element at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and you realise how many vehicles now are are becoming electric, it's becoming more and more the norm. I don't know if this is true, but I saw an article saying something like 20% of cars registered in the UK last month, 20% were electric. That seems gigantic. Don't hold me to that in case I, I misheard, but I'm, I'm sure I saw that. Um, but I always say, and I stick to this completely, it's amazing because it's good for the environment and I am, I am all for that. So I will get an electric vehicle but that they will not represent, in my eyes, a cost saving in years to come because the government will not allow the, the loss in taxes. So the government will start, they will start taxing electric vehicles. They do this all the time, you know, every government. It's not, not just the UK government. They will put as many incentives in as possible to, to get you off, you know. I remember when they're doing incentives to get people onto diesel cars. Now they've realized, oh, diesel's bad. And now they're getting, doing incentives to get people off diesel cars, you know, whether it's selling your diesel um, or, you know, taxing diesel drivers more harshly. So now they're getting people off diesel cars. And now to get people onto electric vehicles, you know, they were giving a 2,000 pound grant on electric vehicles. Uh, guess what, that's now gone. And they, it used to be no, no tax or no initial purchase tax on electric vehicles. And it is, but now only for electric vehicles under 60K. So things are always getting taken away. And of course, once electric vehicles are the norm, well, of course, they're going to pay the exact same tax as a, a petrol or a diesel vehicle. And the government will be taking as much tax from the electric fill-up costs as they do from petrol. The government, the government takes more money in taxes in the UK from the cost that we pay at the pump, the petrol pump. They, they take more of that money from themselves for the government than the actual cost of the petrol. So more money then when you pay at the pump. More, more money will go to the government than it does to the cost of the actual fuel itself. And of course, the government will need to make sure they get every penny of that from electric vehicle owners as well. And they will do it. They will find a way. Um, they will wait a couple of years until more people are on electric, of course, because they want everyone to switch. But have a listen to this. And I want to make it clear, I'm not anti-electric. I'm actually hugely pro-electric, hugely. I just, I just know we're doing it for the environment as opposed to doing it for our wallets because there will be eventually almost no cost saving in my mind. Have a listen to this. This is from Hull Live, hulldailymail.co.uk. Motorway services hike, electric car charging costs. It can cost eight pence a mile more than filling up with petrol or diesel. Research has revealed that charging an electric car at motorway services can cost eight pence a mile more than filling up with petrol or diesel. The Daily Mail said testers plugged two electric vehicles into rapid and ultra rapid public charges to establish how much it costs per mile. The figures 
based on costly pay-as-you-go tariffs will raise eyebrows amongst users who believe EVs are economical as well as eco-friendly, which looked at running costs of a family Hyundai Kona and a more powerful Mercedes-Benz EQC. With a 55 pence per kilowatt hour ultra rapid charger, the EQC cost 24 pence per mile. It was 16.2 pence for the petrol equivalent and 19.5 pence for the diesel. The Kona cost 14.8 pence per mile using an ultra rapid charger compared to 13.6 pence for the petrol. EVs are expensive to buy compared to traditional models. Home chargers are typically, typically 700 to 1,500 pounds, but are cheaper to run if slower, which found the EQC cost as low as 3.3 pence per mile and the Hyundai Kona was just two pence per mile when charged off peak overnight at home. Uh, I could go on and on. So in essence, if you charge your EV at home, you're, you're going to be saving huge, huge amounts of money. But if you're on the road, and of course you will be charging up on the road because electric vehicles, um, if you're doing anything like a, a decent length road trip, electric vehicles, of course, will, be, need, will need, be needed to be charged up away from home. And these companies, you know, motorway service stations, places like this, look, they want your money. This is a business for them. That They are... Is it, is it unfair to say they are interested in making money first and the, the environmental benefits are a nice addition? But make no mistake, these are businesses. So when you're in your electric vehicle, charging at home is amazing. That's brilliant. But when you're out and about, you are going to get stung and it looks like you're going to be paying more than you would pay for petrol or diesel. Dread to think what this is going to be like when... The, when the government starts bringing in, of course, their heavy taxes like they do with petrol and diesel vehicles, it'll be fascinating to see how this is progressing because, of course, you know, the, the government don't have these, these huge taxes yet on, on charging up for fuel, so if, on charging up for electricity. So if we're paying more than petrol or diesel, at services to, to charge our electric vehicles, then it's just all, almost pure profit for these electric charging companies because they're not having to, you know, give a huge amount uh, to the government yet. It's, it's a scary thought. It'll be interesting to see how it progresses. I, I'm keeping a, a, a very keen eye on this to find out what happens. I hope to be able to test out an, another electric motorbike I've got my eye on soon, one that you can take out of the bike, charge at home, because home charging is the key to making this, um, you know, making electric vehicles really viable. It's still the home charging that's key in, uh, in mine and in, I'm sure a lot of people's minds. Right, I'll end it there. I actually wanted to talk about one other thing, but I will save that for next week. Thank you to xlmoto for sponsoring this week's episode go and check them out xlmoto.com or xlmoto.co.uk thank you so much everyone for listening to this week's episode i hope you all have a superb week the weather's glorious enjoy it all i'll speak to you in the next one take care